We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning, but we're also going to take a look at Matthew 18. Now, if you're joining with us for the first time, we're on a journey through the Gospels chronologically. So we're following the, um, the life of Christ and his parables the best that we can through all of the perspectives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, now, there are a couple that we call the synoptic gospels that line up much closer. And so when we are able to, and John utilizes doctrines that help us to reconfirm some of the synoptic gospels or the ways in which we're following the life of Christ, we bring John in as well. But this morning specifically, there are two main passages. First is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And Matthew also records this same parable uh, through his lens of life, Matthew chapter 18, specifically verses 12 through 14. We're going to utilize both there this morning. Um, I had an opportunity to uh, share a little bit. You know, I, the reason that I am a pastor is because I believe that the hearing and the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God is what the Spirit uses to be able to change and transform lives. And so... Um, I am always desiring to want to grow in my place in this. And so um, one of the things I'm going to try to get better at is being a little bit slower with the verses that I share. And I'm going to try to share a little bit less so that you get just a couple and we're able to go deeper as opposed to wider and more spread out. So bear with me there as I continue growing in that. I hope I do a little bit better today. We'll see. So we're specifically looking at Luke chapter 15 this morning. So if you'll turn there with me. I wanted to kind of first um, share with you, I'm, I'm sort of in this season of, and I shouldn't even say it's a season because I believe that it's something the Lord sort of confirmed in me, of expecting growth in my life. Um, I'm expecting growth for myself. You know, I believe that the gospel promises real change. And that means that I'm able to be changed. That even though I've been saved and redeemed and I've been promised everlasting life, that God's in this process of sanctifying me. And that sanctification uh, includes the process of change. And I'm expecting that healthy things grow. I started uh, really leaning into how to bear fruit in our fig trees. We've had the same fig trees for how many years? Four years now? Five years? We moved them from the parsonage to the new house. This is the first year we have more than two figs. <laughs> and I've kind of, you know, dug into the process a little bit more. And one of the things that I recently found out that after it displays where the figs are, you have to do something called pinching the figs. And there's... Um, there's three different processes that the fig tree uses um, or it goes through in its life cycle or through the season cycle. Uh, the one is the roots are always pulling nutrients up, so it utilizes photosynthesis to do that. That nutrients then that it pulls, it will disperse either into the bearing of fruit, so the initial production of the fruit, the growth or the ripening of the fruit, because if it's not able to grow anymore, it has to duplicate itself. And so, or the third one is the actual growth of the tree itself. And so what I found was, because I wanted my fig trees to get bigger, people actually keep their fig trees smaller because the more growth that it actually goes into, the less energy it has to, to utilize in the production of and the, and the ripening of the fruit. Because if the fruit doesn't get ripened, then the seeds don't come to its full fruition to be able then to die and next year reproduce itself. 
And so one of the things that I recently did, and I did this uh, just a couple of days ago, is I pinched my fig trees. And when you pinch a fig tree, number one, you're automatically stopping its growth for the season. It's no longer going to try, not in this way. I'm, Laura's like, what are you doing to our figs? <laughs> it will automatically stop the fig tree from trying to get bigger. It's just not going to do that anymore. And when you pinch it, these fig trees I mean, it is like white blood, like you pop an artery in the fig tree, and this sap gets everywhere, and you go, what in the world did I just do to the thing? Am I hurting it? How is this even pro possible? And I'm just processing through a lot of what's happening here, and that, you know, growth is not something that doesn't come with pain or lessons or life challenges. Even in wanting my son to grow up, I more and more as he's get old, getting older, I realize the importance of the challenges and the pain and the, and the difficulties as they come. And if I'm expecting that same thing for our church, if we are a healthy church in a way, then we should expect growth. Now, the growth doesn't mean numerically all the time. It would be great if it did, and the Lord would help us figure that out. But the kind of growth that I naturally expect is the kind of growth that is a deeper growth, a more fruitful kind of growth, right? So regardless of what it is that the Lord chooses, I've, I've kind of leaned in a little bit more to this expectation of as God's in process and he's making me healthier and he's redeeming and sanctifying me and he's growing my son up to become a little bit older and more mature that, that in the process he's going to experience difficulty and pain. In the process we're going to experience difficult times. And it leads us right into this place that we've been looking at in the Gospels here where we've begun to hear Jesus. Matthew pulls some of Jesus' parables that all are very closely related to the discourse of the church, the body of Christ, the household of God. We've been through all of these different examples. Our passage this morning considers the household of God more so as a flock of sheep this morning as we're looking at this parable. So I say that to say Jesus' parable is a part of describing a difficult situation where all parties essentially are involved and hurt happens. And there's probably a lot more hurt that's behind the scenes. And so somewhere we're going we're gonna to kind of imply a little bit here and there. But then there's a call to understand how we deal with that, that hurt. And, and many times we can even, you're going you're gonna to hear a lot of the similarities to the, the, par the parable of the, um, of the prodigal son. Remember, if you will, one of the first things we did was, I don't think this is really even about the son. I think it's more about the heavenly father and his dealings with the prodigal son. And this passage that we're in this morning is the parable of the lost sheep. And in the same similar fashion, I don't think this has all focus to do with the lost sheep, but it has everything to do with the way in which the shepherd goes after one that is lost. So I want you to think through that perspective. And, and Luke goes a little bit more into detail. Remember, Luke is a doctor. He's used to physically looking at people and the ways in which they're dealing and seeing a little bit more. And so the reason we've kind of moved over into Luke 15 and not specifically leaning into Matthew is because Luke gets a little bit more detailed, whereas Matthew's perspective is more of continuing this thought process of the way that the Heavenly Father deals with the little children when they're lost and his heart for the little children. So we're going to utilize both this morning. Chapter 15 of Luke, verse 1. Then all of the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. 
Remember, proximity and closeness are not the same thing. Just because they were close to him didn't automatically assume that they were truly hearing him. So let that be just an initial here. I don't want you to lose that. This is not the first time we've seen it. It's not the last time that we're going to see it. We have gone into this extensively. I want you to just pick this up. It seems like over and over again, people are drawing near and they're listening. They're hearing. They're coming close to Jesus. Are you close to Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you actually hearing him or are you just listening? Are you really allowing him to speak into your life or are you just listening? We can find ourselves in many different aspects in this parable. We can kind of closely relate ourselves to the scribes and the Pharisees. I hope not that any of us would find ourselves there, but they're the ones that are complaining. Jesus is ruining the preservation of our faith. He's, he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And you know what happens when you're with bad company? It corrupts good morals. So what is this guy doing? Many ways, he's just redefining what a genuine religious group looks like, but we have to be careful not to be there. Then we could be a part of the multitudes that come together that Jesus is speaking to as they're drawing near. You can draw near, but not actually hear him. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, but we know that not all of them actually trusted him as their Lord and their Savior. Many came and they went, but no doubt there still were those that came near to him to hear him. And I hope and pray that that's our place this morning. So I want you to just, just even in your heart and in your mind, say, Jesus, I'm here and I'm listening. Just acknowledge that. I want to sit at the table with you and I want to hear you. While the tax collectors and the sinners draw near to him to hear what he has to say, the Pharisees are on the outskirts with the scribes complaining. The word you've heard probably many times if you're anywhere near other pastors or preachers is they murmured. There's this continual, long-standing, drawn-out complaining and murmuring about what's going on. This man receives sinners and eats with them. They don't like what's going on, but they're not really able to do anything about it. And so what's the only thing they can do? Murmur, murmur. They're consumed with it. As a result of, or in response to the murmuring, Jesus speaks a parable to them. Now remember, Jesus is speaking. It's not just to those that are hearing not just to those that are drawing near, but also even to the Pharisees and the scribes. He still speaks. The word goes forth. The parable goes like this. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, the first thing that I want to say uh, before I actually hit many of my main points, there's a little bit of, a, of an assumption that I realized here. You know, I don't know that I even respond this way. I mean, if you think about the ratios here. Now, it's probably not specifically that there were actually 100 sheep exactly. But there's more of um, using that number as a description of what was going on. This is very common in the 
um, in the day with rabbinic teachers. So Jesus is probably using something they're familiar with. So it doesn't mean a literal hundred and then one is gone. But the, the implication of this still remains the same. If you have a hundred and you only lose one, why would you forsake such a large number for such a small one, right? I mean, if you have a hundred dollars and someone steals one from you, is it really worth taking him to court? Nah, I still got my 99. Yet Jesus implies that a good shepherd is one that if he has a hundred and one is gone, that one is just as valuable as all of the 99 together. So much so that he leaves them in the wilderness to chase after the one. There's value here. I have a couple of the passages, a couple of verses that I have for you. Just a couple. Just for you to think through. Ezekiel 34, verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled over them. Ezekiel uses the language and places the role of shepherd into the identification of kings and rulers of the day. So when he speaks about the way in which kings and rulers of the day did not rule their people well, he accounts them as a shepherd who doesn't care for their sheep. So there's this assumption here. Remember um, John 21, 15 to 17 as well. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He says to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, then feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. All I need you to hear from that in the beginning of this passage is that Jesus assumes that a good shepherd is one that cares for their flock well. And our heavenly father our heavenly shepherd cares for his flock well. So Jesus' assumption is not a declaration of or something that we're, he's teaching a lesson to. There's the assumption that a good heavenly father, that a good shepherd is one who when he has a hundred and he loses one, he goes after the one because the one is just as valuable as the 99 that are left in the wilderness. Now, there are, other, some, there are some other things built in. Um, remember, sheep are best in a flock. There's a danger in not being a part of the flock. So there in some way was built in a little bit of a safety net in leaving the 99 because when the 99 are together, they're a lot safer than if the 99 were scattered and he left and there's a whole bunch of scattering that's happened. So there's the assumption that 99 are still together in some way or fashion, right? There's, this is where we get a lot of our, right, as I'm kind of processing through, what does it look like to lead the church? And what does it mean for me to be a good under-shepherd? How does Jesus shepherd? And then what is my place and my responsibility at wrestling with specific situations within this passage that are really challenging my even, how, how am I, like, the difficulties that come in this? But it's why we're getting rid of these pews, church, because we lost our fellowship area, <laughs> Like, fellowship is extremely important to us in our church, and so even though we're going to try to get that in our life groups and stuff, one of the things I can't wait for is being able to pull these chairs out of here, throw some tables back, and sit down for a meal again together. 
You know, it might be a little bit more difficult, but when the 99 are together, there's safety while the Heavenly Father goes after the one. That's just one of those implied things. So uh, he would leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And I need you to understand, this is a good shepherd. And if we declare, Jesus is literally behind the scenes saying, it is assumed that a good shepherd, your good heavenly father, this is how he's going to act when one leaves the 99. Whether or not you're that one, and you need to hear that this morning because maybe you're part of the one that has left. The heavenly father will leave the 99 because you are just as valuable as the 99. Or you're a part of the 99 going, where'd the father go? Why does he care so much about this one? And instead we find ourselves wrestling, not wanting to be in the place of the, product, of the, of the prodigal son's brother who remained on the land the whole time. Going, what is this love that my father has for, this, for, my, for my brother who's just, you know, shouldn't be here anymore? Both sides of it, we need to be careful and understand there's, there's a couple of these things. The second point that I have here that I, I think is really needing to be explained because I still come across this on a consistent basis is when you wrestle with the will of God, what is your normal perception of the will of God? How do you go about finding the will of God? The way that I normally will describe the two ways that we generally will fall into the categories of defining the will of God for our lives is is that either the will of God is like a bullseye, and I have to get that thing right on the mark, and so we search after this thing, and we wrestle, and we oftentimes are paralyzed and don't do anything, or the will of God is that our heavenly Father, our great shepherd, has put us in an open field with green pastures, still water, and a huddle of other sheep to remain safe in, and he guards the door or the fence of who comes in and out. And I would say that it's more of the latter, that God's will is more like an open field with green grass and still water. And so my, my call just to myself here is, Pastor Dave, Dave, husband Dave, son Dave, father Dave, just enjoy the pasture. Right? You, you want to... You wanna, you wanna, you want a, a practical way to get out of your own head and trying to figure out what God really wants you or doesn't want you to do. Just get back to enjoying the pasture and he'll lead you. That is our chief end. To enjoy God and glorify him forever. A good shepherd loves it when his sheep are huddled together in a pasture that he brought them to where there's an abundance of green grass and there's still water that is clear and flowing but not something that will cause them to be skittish. Just enjoy the pasture. Now that would have to imply here, I think a little bit of what we're getting into when he has found it. There's one which is lost. The lost of the one. That implies that there was someone that was a part of the 99 and some way, somehow they were lost, wandering. And when someone is lost or wandering that was originally part of the flock, there oftentimes comes hurt. Because hurt people hurt people. I was processing through this and I'm thinking about Edmund. Anybody ever watched Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe? Edmund decides he's going to go out on his own and he runs into the witch. 
and he gets tempted. I kind of am processing through this in my mind, and I'm thinking about this open field with a fence around it. If I could connect the two, Edmund is standing on the fence, climbing over, looking out, going, what's out there? And the witch said, some Turkish delight. I'll whip that up for you real quick. And instead of enjoying the pasture, Edmund is looking for what's outside of the goodness of God that he's provided for him. And because of that, he jumps over and he's lost now. Begins to come into this place of wandering. And it's interesting because in his eating of the Turkish delight, did he not just put the other 99 in danger? And when we're close as a congregation and, and, and someone is tempted in this way, we, we have to be reminded that the, the real enemy is not the one that's climbing over the fence. The enemy is the one that's enticing the one to climb over the fence and to do the harm because their ultimate goal is what? They don't hate us because of us. They hate us because they hate Jesus. So if we're a part of the 99 and one is leaving and, the, and the, a good shepherd is one that goes after this one that is lost, but being lost and wandering implies that life is not going to be easy. When the prodigal son left, was it good and gravy? No. No. There's a, um, sometimes when, when this is taught because of uh, a wrong understanding of shepherding, there's a notion that goes around that says that when a shepherd goes after a wandering or a lost sheep, one of the things that the shepherd would do is break the sheep's leg so that it could pick the sheep up and carry it. Well, we have no archaeological evidence. No shepherd in real life has ever done that, nor will they ever do that. Because imagine if it wasn't just one and you had to do that with three or four. It's just not practical, right? <laughs> when people are lost and wandering, the world is going to hurt them enough. Their legs might be broken they might be taking Turkish delight that somehow throwing stuff back on us in the 99. We might be catching a whole bunch of the leftover that's, that's being assail, you know, assaulted towards us over the fences, the fiery darts of the enemy, right? But I think there's, there's, an, there's an implication here that when we get to the end of this, getting a little bit of a clearer perspective will allow us to have the correct response. And one of the ways in which I think we can have a better response is understanding hurt people hurt people. I still get caught off guard with this and I still respond in the wrong way because our natural tendency is you take your Turkish delight and don't ever come back to this place. Get out of here because you're doing nothing but hurting me. But we have to remember that's not the heart of the shepherd. And if you were the one that was lost, that's not the heart that you would want of your shepherd to have for you. And if we're honest in the darkness, wandering, lost, confused, having no understanding or way to get home, no more green grass, no more still waters, even though something tempted me to get me wherever it was, there's wandering and hurt, and there is enough of the hurt and the pain to justify the good shepherd having to pick this little sheep up over its shoulders, not needing the shepherd itself to then go and do more breaking and harm. There's an implication of the lostness that is happening here. Remember, hurt people hurt people. If you find yourself as the one that's climbed over the fence or you're peering off into the inside, it would be good for you to consider here that 
maybe as a last-ditch effort, if you're searching deep, that the Holy Spirit might prevent you to stop looking and turn back around and go back and enjoy the pasture. Maybe there's someone in here this morning that's just getting closer and closer to the fence. I would warn you, the responses are not good, and it's not the kind of response that I think we hear from the shepherd of, hey, if you leave, good luck to you. No, it's a, it is going to be hard, and you are going to wander, and in your wandering, you may break your leg, and you may become now mal- malnourished, and you may not have whatever it all might be, but the good shepherd is one that will chase after you. Don't do it, though, because hurt people hurt people. And when you wander alone, you will get lost. The fourth point here that I want you to see is the heart of the shepherd, the father, our father. And I've mentioned it a number of times here. But just to clarify again, the goodness of the shepherd is one that when he has 99, he leaves to find the one. Because the one is just as valuable as the 99 together. And when he has found it, the response of a good shepherd, the response of our God. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he celebrates all alone. I hope you have your Bibles open because it doesn't say that. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. This is too great of a situation and circumstance and scenario in the eyes of the shepherd to not call others to be a part of the rejoicing. I am processing through, you know, I don't know that I have even seen in my time as a shepherd, that's not true. Shouldn't say that. I was just reminded of a time. It is very rare that we get opportunity because we do the loving well while the one is gone to welcome home the one back again. We live in such a world that makes it so easy for us to pick up and move somewhere else. And so instead, the story more often in our day looks like we have a flock here, the one leaves, they hurt us, the good shepherd goes and finds them, and it's too hard of a thing to bring them back to our flock again, so he brings them to another flock. It breaks my heart, because <laughs> I, wish, I, wish I wish I could do, I've been just as much a part of them making that really difficult and hard But I think that if this is the word and we're going to hear it and we're going to be listening at the table with Jesus to hear him say this, that I am hoping for the kind of growth in our congregation, for the kind of growth in myself, that I do this better, that if I'm a part of the 99 and one is leaving, that I do better the, it's okay that you're throwing stuff at me, I'm still here, it's okay, we can't wait for you to come back. Don't go over there, don't go over there. Up, he's gone, he's lost. God, you got to go get him and bring him back to us. God, go get him. It'll be easier in heaven when we don't have to deal with the sin. So God, go get him and then reunite us in heaven when there's no more dealing with sin and unrighteousness. God bless my brother. 
the heart of the shepherd is one that I think is a good place to always bring us back. When you, you know, maybe you're not the one wandering away, but you're a part of the 99 that may be starting to sound a little bit more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this picture, to be reminded that we are called forth, that our heavenly father is sanctifying us more into his image. And so as we get a better image of God, there are better ways in which we have, to, we have to kind of fall back in line, that we have to be praying for and asking God to shape and mold us, to make us look more like him, to act more like him, to, more lo- to, to love more like him. He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, there's also a warning here. My struggle, church, is the opposite side. So there, there's two sides to this. One is the rejoicing before or without any repentance. And I thought about this a lot, right? If there isn't repentance here and the good shepherd brings this person back into the flock, the shepherd at some point is going to have to do his own separation because that unrepentance, what led that person to climb over the fence is going to cause harm to the other 99 that he's being brought back into. Right? And so... I love, because Mar- Matthew's, Matthew's more concerned in Matthew 18 with this love side of the Father. Luke realizes that there's a place that the lostness and the wilderness brings a person to. And ultimately, we know that we ourselves, in order to even come into the flock, we only came in because of repentance first. Then the repentance is a, is, a, is a sorrowful understanding. It is a coming to our end. And so one of the things that I'm wrestling with that I need to get better at is I'm more of the one to say, hey, until you repent, that's easier for me. And I know, I know some maybe on the opposite side, it's easier. Hey, you don't have to worry about it. We'll never talk about it. And everything's just going to be okay. Just come back home. Yeah, I think our... Our God is the one that does the perfect of the two. That there is discipline and there's loving care and concern. And I think what freed me from this is by allowing myself to simply be a part of the 99. Now, I know that I'm an under-shepherd, and I am wrestling with that, and I have to find my place. I'm in a little bit of a unique kind of thing. But what's helped me is I don't have to be the shepherd. I have a shepherd just as everyone else has a shepherd. And so even if I'm an under-shepherd, this isn't the under-shepherd leaving. The the shepherd doesn't say, hey, I got to hang here with the 99 because they're more important. Why don't you go see if you can handle this one? The the main shepherd leaves to chase after the one. And remember, we have calls in the scripture that, you know, if a brother or a sister, you find them in a sin that's not leading to death. Maybe it is this wandering. I'm not quite sure what the specifics of it, but, um, you know, what's our call? You pray for them. You pray for them. And if the 99, you care about the one and you, you lift them up to the Lord and you ask the Lord to do his thing, to bring them back into the fold. Lord, change us. Give us a heart of compassion. Give us a heart of, of, of 
love, the kind of love that you have for us, find us there. But there's this, the, the, the thing that both sides pivot on is that at some way, somehow, this sheep in its lostness, in its wandering in the wilderness, is to the point of understanding and realizing that it's not able to get itself back home. And there's a repentance and a turning to God, which is very interesting. If you think about a wandering sheep, they're very skittish. I mean, they will run about. It would probably be hard for the shepherd to even get a hold of the sheep. So there's even this implication here when the, when the shepherd finds the sheep, we don't see any break in between where he like chases it around. It doesn't mean that didn't happen, but it was pretty easy for this shepherd to grab a hold of the legs of the sheep and throw it up over its back and walk the thing home. And that's a reminder for you as well if you find yourself in this spot. My, my last point is that as we process and grow through, if we are finding ourselves as a part of the 99 and the one comes back and we get to be a part of this process of restoration and, and, and a one coming back into the fold, reminding, being reminded of seeing the compassion and the love of the Lord, but being warned to, to be careful of ourselves of what the result of climbing over that fence looks like. But as we get close to the ones that have done so, it gives us a kind of empathy on one side with those that are leaving. It, it, getting close to one who's been restored and seeing through the whole process will allow us to look at the one that's, that's really hurling the hurt and, and we're being, you know, kind of seen as this, this group and like we're just catching whatever it is to have empathy towards that one if, if the process has happened already. We know we have a good shepherd. He's going to be bringing him back and it's going to come to this place because that we're growing together. Then in growing, these kinds of things happen or else Jesus wouldn't have even used this as a parable. You think about all the other ones that are connected to this. The, the, the healthy do not need a doctor. It's the sick. And I'm a great physician. That's what I came for, Jesus says. I'm here for the one. And when I found the one, I will call all together to rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. They're all brought to the same place though. This isn't a, if you don't need repentance, you're less than. It's quite the opposite. There is more of an equality of care and concern regardless of position and circumstance. One of the arguments of the pro-life that I've found extremely helpful because when I'm speaking with people and a lot of the things that come up are this, well, you know, what about the extreme circumstance, right? What if the baby is conceived in a really disgusting, terrible, sinful manner. And the argument is, when that baby's born, the circumstance of birth does not give value to one over the other. And it's the same thing here. Whether the one leaves or doesn't, being brought back in or leaving, doesn't, doesn't, the circumstance doesn't make the value lesser or greater than to the Heavenly Father. You need to know that about your God. That if you're his and he's called you forth and he's, and he's chased after you and you are his, he's, he's saved you and redeemed you, he's brought you into the household of God with brothers and sisters and you have a key to the kingdom. 
This isn't a popularity contest. And even the disciples, if you remember, just a few chapters back, many of these parables come after the disciples going, I think I'm going to be a little bit more important in heaven than you are. Of course, when Jesus isn't there, because in their heart of hearts, they know, ooh, this feels really icky. Process and grow through compassion and empathy. When we find ourselves in these situations, regardless of where you find yourself, let it be a warning sign, a caution sign to us that that any of us are just as susceptible. What's your Turkish delight? What's your Turkish delight on the other side that maybe you haven't gone to the fence, but while you're in the huddle, every once in a while you get closer and closer to turning your neck that way. You know, a good shepherd has a staff not to beat the sheep, but to gently grab a hold of the neck and redirect back to the center of the pasture. Are you growing... Are you falling more and more in love with the pasture? Seeing the shepherd, the great shepherd at the center of it? Or do you find yourself this morning a little bit turning that neck again? Hear this morning's message as the Lord's gentle rod kind of hooking you and going, no, 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 no. Ah, don't do that. We just, we just had a feast. And it wasn't good for that person. It took a while for the nourishment to come back and the pain and the hurt and the broken legs that I didn't do, the world did. Because when we walk around in the darkness, that is what happens. I'm going to give you some passages. Psalm 23 is an amazing passage on the shepherd. And there's some really great little books um, about shepherds and, you know, much more that you can dive into. But Psalm 23... Psalm 80, verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Isaiah 40, 11 is the promise. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. I'll leave you with Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The reason the shepherd is able to go after the one and leave the 99 is because his own son, Jesus Christ, laid his life down. The good news. There is no way we would ever be able to find home on our own. Our great shepherd has gathered us together who were lost because of our sins and iniquity, wandering and brought together into the fold.
Because as Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Remember, proximity and closeness are not the same thing. You can be in the middle of the pasture, in the middle of the field, and your head turned the opposite direction. Jesus, we love you. As long as we're able to say that right now, God, we love you because you first loved us. Heavenly Father, we believe and fully commit that your word, by the power of your spirit, is able to meet us right where we need to be met. And so as you care for us, God, we are just this morning going to sit here and say thank you. Lord, for some that have been experiencing the hurt because of others being left over the past, whatever it's been, for For those that maybe are not with us right now because of that, Lord, we pray for them. God, will you go on a rescue mission, please? We all have gone astray. And as sheep, we all need the kind of shepherd that you promise you are. Jesus, as we are maybe in the place of the 99, will you fill our cup? Allow us to experience the joy and the fullness of life inside of your boundaries. That being the will of the Father is to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love those that you've gathered around us. Help us to do that well. As we abide in you, we expect growth and fruit of abundance. All that growth, though, is yours. And so we're all here needing you to be the great gardener, the great shepherd, the great father that your word promises you are. Help us to believe that fully. Help us to know you, God. To be able to sit at the table and hear you. Not just be in proximity, God, but we want to know you intimately and deeply. Meet us uniquely this week, Lord, each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We look to you this morning. Jesus, we thank you for laying your life down on our behalf. Lord, strengthen us that we might not lose the other end of the fullness of your laying your life down. That as we've died with you, we also have risen with you in newness of life. Give us the fullness of the green pastures and the still water, Lord. We ask these things in your mighty and precious name this morning, Jesus. Amen.